Hi Church, so good to be able to see all of you here online this Sunday. We are continuing our series on prayer and the theme for my message this morning is praying with authority. It has been said and rightly so that knowledge is power. Whatever we don't know cannot empower us and this is why every dictator on earth knows this, that if he can keep the people ignorant, he can continue to exercise power over them. And that is why for many, many years in the communist world, the border guards are ordered to confiscate three forms of contraband. They are basically weapons, magazines, and the Bible. Because they know that if the truth gets to the people, it will set them free. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 tells us this, My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. And that is why the devil would do anything and everything to stop us from reading the word or listening to solid teaching because the devil knows that once we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And he knows that once we realize who we are in Christ and how rich we are in God and how much we have in Jesus Christ, then he will lose his hold on us. And this morning, I wanted you to know that you and I are vested with authority from on high. And greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. A.J. Gordon once said this, We have authority to take back from the devil anything he has stolen. The cheap way of doing this is by prayer and by whatever action prayer leads us to take. The cry that should be ringing out from the church today is the great cry, Take in Jesus' name. Yes, church, we have been vested with authority to take back everything that the devil has stolen, our families, our health, our possession, our finances, etc. Question is this, how do we do it? It is always through prayer. Prayer is power. The time of prayer is a time of power. The place of prayer is a place of power. The people of prayer is a people of power. And I'm not talking about those who, who believe in prayer or talk about prayer or even teach on prayer. I'm talking about those who actually take time to pray. These are the greatest people on the face of the earth today. History belongs to those who pray. So why do we pray? Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 to 28 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, in the beginning, God created man in his own image and he gave mankind dominion over the earth and all of creation. God literally wants man to rule on earth. And that word rule in the Hebrew is the word marshal, which literally means to govern or to manage. You and I are called to manage the earth, church. The idea of governing implies that we are to represent someone else to oversee something. In other words, we do not own the earth, but we are God's representatives here to oversee on His behalf. And the same idea actually applies in the concept of managing. Uh, for example, if you are called to be a manager, then we are basically taking charge of something that belongs to someone else. And brothers and sisters, you and I are God's managers on earth. And I think this is confirmed in Psalms 115 verse 16 
where the psalmist said, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to men. The highest heaven still belongs to God, but the earth God has assigned to us. And that word given here in the Hebrew is the word natan, which literally means given an assignment or putting something under the charge of someone else. With the earth, God has assigned it to us. This means that God did not actually give away the ownership of the earth. And that's why he can still say in Psalms 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, the whole earth, everything in it, even all of us, we still belong to God. But God did assign the responsibility, assign the authority to rule the earth over to men. The Monfort translation puts it this way, Psalms 24.1, The heavens, the eternal holds himself, the earth he has assigned to men. So question, who has the right now to govern the earth? Actually, Adam did. Mankind did. But the only problem was when Adam and Eve fell into the trap of sin. And then what happened? At that point when man, mankind fell into sin, we gave the right to rule over to Satan, the deceiver. It is like I have an apartment in Singapore and, and because I'm not there to oversee and to take care of it, I've assigned the power of attorney to my father. And this empowers my dad to actually make executive decisions about the apartment on my behalf. And so great was Adam's authority over the earth that he actually had the power of attorney to give it away to another. And in this case, he gave it to the wrong person. He gave the right to rule over to Satan because of sin. And that is why when, when Adam gave that right to rule over to Satan, even God had to acknowledge that Satan is now the prince of this world. See, and Jesus actually called Satan the prince of this world in John chapter 12, verse 31. Jesus said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And he's referring to Satan. But I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And that word prince in the Greek is the word archon, which means first in rank or power. In other words, Satan is now in charge of this earth. But the good news I have for all of us is this. Right from the beginning of the fall, God already had a plan in mind. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he outlined that plan. And what he said was this, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what God is actually saying is that the time will come when a man will crush the head of Satan. And we all know that's not talking about the physical head of Satan, but I think it's referring to headship or authority of Satan. And that word hate in the Hebrew is the word rosh, which actually means headship or first in rank or authority. Uh, it is the same meaning as someone who is the head of an organization uh, or the head of a company. Or if you like, he's the head honcho. In other words, God is saying that Adam used to be the head. He used to be the rosh, but he was the, he was the man in charge. But now Satan, you are the rosh. But I've got news for you. Another man is coming and he is going to crush your headship. It takes a man to give it away. Now it takes a man.
to take it back. And the first Adam lost the headship to Satan. But Jesus, the second Adam, has come to take it back. And who did Jesus then, after Jesus took back the authority from Satan on the cross, who did he give this authority to? I got good news for all of us. He gave that authority to the church. Luke chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven and I have given you, and he's talking to his disciples, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy and nothing will by any means harm you. In other words, brothers and sisters, God has destined that redeemed human beings, the church, is forever to be God's channel of authority on the earth. And you and I today hold that authority in our hands and we wield it through prayer. Now, let me outline for you three things about authority so that we can have a grasp of the authority that we have in Christ and then we can use it to bring about God's will on earth as it is in heaven. So here are three things about authority. Number one is this, authority cannot be assumed. You cannot assume and presume that we have authority. It must be real. Acts chapter 19, verse 13 to 17, describe a rather tragic but comical scene about assumed authority. Let me read it for you. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And they would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, was doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they all ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Can you picture this? Uh, seven young men running out of the house naked with a madman chasing after them. I think that's a poignant picture of assumed authority. The seven sons of Sceva were trying to exercise an authority that they did not possess. They thought that if they had the words right, if the formula is in place, it will work. After all, they did remember to add the postscript in Jesus' name. But true authority is something that flows from within. It is an inner knowledge that one has a right or power to act in a given situation. For example, the surgeon who is standing at the operating table has the authority to operate. But it's not because he had the scalpel in his hand. It is because of his years of studies, training and experience, which actually culminates in a medical degree and a license to practice. So what happened to these seven sons of Sceva is a timely reminder to all of us that no assumed authority will be enough for this spiritual war. I think the enemy will only yield to authentic authority that flows out of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the demonic cannot say to us, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who are you? That will be tragic. And here's number one. Authority cannot be assumed. But instead, number two, authority must be authentic. Now, let me outline for you an example from the Bible of true spiritual authority. This is found in Exodus 17, verse 8 to 13. Listen to this beautiful incident out of the Old Testament. 
The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff or the rod of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites and Moses, as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. And when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur then held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekites' army with the sword. Now the people of Israel were crying out for water in the wilderness. And God told Moses to strike a rock with the rod and water began to gush forth. But just as the people were enjoying the water, the Amalekites came and attacked them, probably because they wanted the water for themselves. So what did Moses do? It's interesting. Moses didn't pray. He didn't plead with God, but he took up his authority and he went to war. Why, you may ask? It's, I think it's because Moses knew that the Lord has given this water not to the Amalekites, but he gave it to the Jews. You see, he gave it to the Israelites. So brothers and sisters, here's my point. There is a place for petition. There is a place for intercession. But there's also a place for the man of God to exercise his rightful authority to enforce the will of God on earth as it is in heaven in warfare prayer. So in verse 9, we were told, Moses said, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. For tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hands. And do you know, brothers and sisters, that the power is not just in the lifting up of Moses' hands, but it is the lifting up of the rod of God's authority. Don't miss this. It wasn't just the lifting of his hands. He was lifting up something else. He was lifting up the rod of God's authority. And while Joshua fought the physical battle in the valley, Moses left the sin of the battle. He went up to the mountain and he fought that battle in the unseen realm. And notice this, every time Moses lifted that rod of authority, they won. Every time the rod comes down, they lose. Hands up, they win. Hands down, they lose. Hands up, they win. Hands down, they lose. Actually, that's the opposite of the world, right? Because every time we hands up in the world, we surrender, we lost. But here's the point. The point is this, in spiritual warfare, we win by surrendering. By surrendering to the will of God, surrendering and yielding ourselves to the word of God, that's how we win. Moses on the mountain represents the position of the believer in heavenly places in Christ, far above every principalities and power. That lifted rod represented the delegated authority of God put into the hands of every believer in Christ. So we need to say it to ourselves, I have authority in Christ. Why don't you say this with me? Huh? I have authority in Christ. Say it again. I have authority in Christ. Now, you may ask, how do I know I have authority in Christ? Luke chapter 10, verse 17 to 19. Right? Listen to this. The 72 returned with joy and then they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. 
This is clear as day. God has given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the powers of the enemy and nothing will harm you. And, and Jesus has sent out 72 unknown disciples at that point to prepare the way for his entry into the cities that he was passing through. And they were all told to go and preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out demons. Actually, all of them were afraid. But when they started to step out in faith, they discovered that what Jesus said was true. And so when the 72 came back, they were so excited because they were surprised that at their own exploits. What they were saying is this, wow, even the demons submit to us in your name. And I tell you, at that point, Jesus was overjoyed and he declared to them, Satan has fallen. See, when the church begin to exercise our authority in him, in the Lord, that is when Jesus knew Satan has fallen. And the coming of Jesus signaled the invasion of the kingdom of God upon the kingdom of Satan. And when the kingdom of God comes, the rule of Satan was overturned. And then Jesus actually revealed to them the secret of their success, which is this. They were given delegated authority. They were given that authority. And now we have the power of the Holy Spirit to enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, but what is really the basis of our authority? So listen to me and, and, and come into this because this revelation will really seal it in our hearts that we have authority. What is really the biblical basis for our authority? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sin, now here's the cost, here's the source. When we were dead in our sin, the uncircumcision of your sinful nature God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the written code with His regulation that was against us, that's the law, and, he, and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and nailing it to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Brothers and sisters, here's the source. On the cross, Jesus took away Satan's armory. He humiliated our enemy and he triumphed over them by the cross. On the cross, Jesus rendered Satan a total, permanent, final and irreversible defeat. And once we know our position now in Christ, we can move from defeat to victory. Once we know who we are, we can act like who we are and we live up to who we really are in Christ. And you know, the Apostle Paul actually go on to say in Ephesians 1, verse 19 to 23, listen to this, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he asserted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You know, according to these verses, where is Jesus today? That's right. He is at the Father's right hand, far above every rule and authority, powers and dominion, and Satan is now under his feet. Now, keep that picture in your head. But not only that, Ephesians 2 verse 4 to verse 6 goes on to say this, 
But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. And then God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So here's the thing. Listen, tell me, where is the church today? We are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. God in His love raised us up to sit with Christ in the heavenly places, which means this. If Christ is far above every principality and power, every dominion and authorities, then guess what? So is the church because we are seated with Him in heavenly places. And today, Satan is also under our feet. And notice this. Paul said, God has already raised us up to sit with Christ. This is not about the future. This is actually past tense. In other words, it has already happened. You and I are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. So can I say it this way? We are now, right now, seated in two places at one time. Physically, we are seated on, in Perth, on earth. But with Christ, we are now seated with Him in heavenly places. So you and I are actually in two places at one time. Physically, I'm right here. But spiritually, I'm with Him in heavenly places. Right now, you and I are in a place of authority with Christ. We are on top and not below. We are the head, not the tail. We are victorious, not defeated. And we are victory. We are victors and not victims. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is now enabling you and I to tread and trample on snakes and scorpions. And yet that power gives us authority over all the powers of the enemy. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, that's the authority that God has given unto us. So don't be bullied, but be bold. We are children of the King of Kings, sons and daughters of the living God. We have royal blood flowing through our veins and we have the power of the Holy Spirit resident in us. And we, the church, holds the balance of power. Authority cannot be assumed. We know that. But authority must be authentic. Okay? And we have authentic authority now because of Christ and what He has done on the cross. But I leave you one last thing. This authentic authority that we have must be activated. We've got to activate it and begin to, to actually wield it and exercise it. You know, when I applied for a credit card, um, the bank actually went through my financial situation. And then after checking me out, they actually issued me and granted me a credit card. And because I love my wife, I gave her a supplementary card. Now, what does that mean? All the husbands know that, that means we are finished. <laughs> no, no, actually, because I added her name to my name, this means that she has gained all the financial authority that my name bears, right? Her name carries no authority since she has no credit with the bank. But with my name behind her, she has gained the authority to exercise purchasing power that she otherwise would not have. Okay, and the good news I have for you, brothers and sisters, is this. I want you to know that Jesus has also given every one of us here a supplementary card that bears His name. What for? It's so that we can now partner with Almighty God in implementing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. God decides in heaven and we enforce it here 
on earth. But nothing will happen until you realize this and until you start to use it in Jesus' name. And church, you and I have been given the rod of God's delegated authority and we need to exercise it on behalf of your family, on behalf of the church, on behalf of your community, your city, and on behalf of the nations of the earth. As parents, we assert the authority of God to bind the works of the devil in our homes. Uh, as workers and employees and employers, we assert the authority of God in our workplaces. As residents, you know, as citizens, we assert the authority of God in our community. And we enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Sometimes we think that we have nothing much to offer. You know, that we think we are nothing. That we have so many, so many weaknesses and struggles. But I want you to know that when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us, a spiritual explosion can take place in our spirit. And what we need to recognize is the frailty of our own strength. And then we turn to the power of the Holy Spirit we turn to this authority that we have in Christ. So this morning, I challenge all of us to come humbly before the Father and we pray, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Empower us in Jesus' name and let us walk in authentic spiritual authority and let us receive the power of the Holy Spirit and activate our authority in Christ. Authority cannot be assumed. Authority must be authentic. But most importantly, authority must be activated. So let's activate our authority in Christ and use it to enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. This morning as we close, I would like us together to declare a prayer of declaration over the COVID-19 pandemic that is hitting our world today. Now, I need you to understand that if we just declare these words without meaning it or not applying our faith to it or without truly understanding that we have authentic authority from God to enforce His will on earth as it is in heaven, then it will just be words. But today, as we rise in faith and together as a family, we pray this prayer of declaration knowing full well that we have full authority from God. I believe it will shift the spiritual atmosphere and it can make a difference in the situation that we are in. So wherever you are, in your living rooms and all, why don't we all stand to our feet and let's pray this prayer of declaration in faith. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we declare that you are sovereign and you reign supreme over all. Your name is above every other name and your power above all powers. Your ways are above our ways and your thoughts above our thoughts. Your mercies are new every morning and your wisdom knows no end. In the mighty name of Jesus, we take authority over the global pandemic that is happening here on earth. We speak your protection over the healthcare workers and service providers who keep our city running. We ask for your healing to be upon those who are infected and your protection over those who are not. We ask for your comfort to be with those who have lost their loved ones to this disease. And we ask for a quick discovery of the vaccine and a strong recovery of our economy. And we ask that many will come to know you as the one true and living God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may this crisis cause many to see who Christ really is. And we ask all this for the glory of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I want to encourage every one of us 
to use this prayer as a prayer of declaration that you can do together as a family or as individuals at 7.14 p.m. when we rally the church to pray together. And I want us to keep pushing. Pray until something happens. So I look forward to see you next Sunday where I'll be talking on the subject of winning over worry. I'll see you then online. God bless you.